Welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and personally, spending a lifetime in limbo with Marion Cotillard really isn't that bad. And today I'll be breaking down Christopher Nolan's mind-bender, Inception. Dean, how you going, mate? Good, mate. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing very well. That's good. Why are you very well today? I'm just very well in general. You're just happy with life and where you're at with it. How can you not be when you're recording a, a fantastic show with yourself, talking about a great movie? Yes, you are very blessed to be able to record with me, Hendo. Pause for effect. And he's got nothing. I'm, I'm just soaking, I'm soaking it in. <laughs> soaking it in. Yeah. As I am soaking in your shameless admiration for me. So, thank you for bringing me up to your joyous Look level you. of very good- I'm very good too, Hendo, and that's all because of you. Fantastic. I, I got nothing to report. I've done nothing this week. What have I done? Saw a couple of movies. Actually, I've seen a few good movies. I mean, that so. just goes without saying now. I don't come into here saying, guess what I did this week? I watched some movies. Yeah. Yeah, watch movies. Yeah, not much. Lots of uh, walks along the beach, you know? Look at you. Yeah, no, it's quite good. Quite good. It is. It is awesome to live by the beachside. Oh, it's like a three-minute walk to the beach. and Nice it's, sunny weather. It's so good. The glistening sea. Take the dog down. Take the kid down. It's great. Where's the wife? Uh, she's at home with the young kids who can't uh, walk the course. distance I want to walk. <laughs> but my eldest now, she's like really like, oh, I want to challenge myself, Dad. Can we walk this far? And how long did that one take us? I'll be like, oh, it took us an hour 20. And it's like, oh, that's a new record. Good stuff. That is good. But enough of that, Hendo. What are we doing today? Well, after our breakdown of Inception, we're going to take a look at some listener reviews for the film. We're going to look at the question of the week, which is what is your favorite ambiguous ending, which is, of course is our top five as usual. We're going to take a look at the Pod v Pod 32 draft results between us and Brad and Justin from The Cinema Guys. Ooh, that'll be good. We're also going to unveil the first rounds of the best 2010s film tournament. It's our last tournament before we get to the big eight. Yeah, this is big, the 2010s. Yep, it They're just, all it just wrapped up, so we've got a, uh, a nice collection here. So, are you taking them, like you rank them and add them in based on where they sit on the IMDb Top 250, correct? As of, as of today. As of today. Yes. So, all these like brand new movies that have flopped in at the end. Right at the end. They're all in. They're in. Let's lock it in. So, we got Irishman in there. Do we? Oh, no. Is it gone already? <laughs> we'll find out in a second. And then after all that, it's my turn to pick a film. Nice. It's been a while. Yeah. What was my last official film that I picked that wasn't restricted? I think it was, fuck, it was Infernal Affairs. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully you do better than that. I don't know, actually. <laughs> oh, God. But we'll get to that in due time. But for now. Give me the update. All right, Hendo. What's going on in the IMDb Top 250? Don't, don't make me wait. Is Irishman out? I'm going to make you wait. What? Joker's down three spots to 29, yep. moving Saving Private Ryan up to 26, and Parasite moves up two spots to 27. Ah. It's still going up. Still going up. That's yep. that's bloody impressive. It is, it is. We have a new entry into the list, 1917. Oh, of course. Yes, debuting at number 57. What do you reckon? Do you reckon it'll go up or down? Yeah, I was just trying to think. I'm trying to think, will that go up or down with more people watching it? I would say up, up, I would say. Well, I'm not willing to place a bet on this one because I have, what have do you absolutely think? no idea. Don't know. I think I go down. I mean, mo- actually, yeah. Most movies go down, don't they? Not unless you're Parasite. Ayo! Yep. How'd that bet go for you? Still going up. I'm just happy. As- I reckon it's- it will hit 25. It just the length it took was uh, not what I wanted. No. We have another new entry in the list. It is Akira Kurosawa's High and Low. Debuts in the list at number 79. What year is that? Well, must be 60s, roughly 60s. Okay. Yeah. Marriage Story has dropped 17 spots to 191. Okay, so that'll get out eventually. The Irishman mm. has dropped 12 spots to 238. Nice. Yeah. Are you celebrating that? Oh, I'm celebrating that it, it makes an appearance in our tournament. That's yeah. true. 
One more here. Drisham has gone down eight spots to 242. So Who most likely out. I tell you the I tell you the big drops in this list. And that's it for the update this week. Sounds good. All right. Before we get into Inception, just a quick reminder, we will be spoiling it from the get-go. So if you haven't, for some crazy reason, had a chance to watch it and you actually care, please stop listening. To Go and fair, watch this film. To be fair, it's such a complicated film that maybe we don't even spoil it for you. We, we say what, what the film's about. You're like, what? Yeah, exactly. Um, right there with you. And with that being said, let's get into Inception. What's the most resilient parasite? An idea. idea from the human mind can build cities. An idea can transform the world and rewrite all the rules. Which is why I have to steal it. So, Inception is a 2010 science fiction action film written and directed by Christopher Nolan, who also produced the film with his wife, Emma Thomas. The film stars Leonardo DiCaprio with an ensemble cast including Ken Watanabe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marion Cotillard, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Dilip Rayo, Cillian Murphy, Killian Murphy, is that what it is? Have we had this discussion before? We've probably had it about five times. Yeah. I I think it's Killian. Tom Berenger and Michael Caine. Tom Berenger? Oh my God, was that Tom Berenger? Yes. Damn. I think the only thing I know him from is Platoon. I also did see Gettysburg with Martin Sheen. I'm pretty sure he's one of the main people in that as well. He's all about the platoon. In platoon, he's the one with like the scarred up face, isn't yeah, he? And that's all, all effects. He doesn't really look like that, does no, he? No, no, no. He doesn't. Okay. Music by Hans Zimmer. Yes. Well, one, one of his more iconic scores. One of the greats. Absolutely. Cinematography by Wally Fister. I know that name. Yeah, I was like- <laughs> I know we've had this discussion before, and every time I've said it, you burst out laughing. I was waiting for it. No, no, no. no I'm, I'm being very immature today. Oh, look at you. Basically, uh, has done all the, all the cinematography for Nolan films, nominated four times with one win for Inception. Oh, nice. It's, it's great seeing that a movie like Inception can actually be successful at the Oscars as well. How Did it get nominated for much, Hendo? It got nominated for eight awards that That's year. That's so cool. One four out of the eight. I think that's a pretty good return. Yeah. It was nominated for Best Picture of the Year, which it lost to The King's Speech. Lost, of course. Yep. Much better film. Oh, all right. Hot take. <laughs> uh, nominated for Best Original Screenplay, which it lost to The King's Speech. Nominated for Best Original Score, which it lost to The Social Network, done by Trent Reznor and Atticus yeah. Ross. Yep. And it was nominated for Best Art Direction, which it lost to Alice in Wonderland. I, okay. think, I think Dean just passed out. Yeah. Uh, what? What? Do they still have an Art Direction Oscar or is it Production Design now? Yeah, I don't think there is an Art Direction. Maybe they, I think they have changed it to that. Yeah, okay. But, uh, it did, but it did win four, Dean. Obviously, Best Cinematography, won Best Sound Editing and Sound Mixing, and Best Visual Effects. Nice. Can't argue with any of the wins, obviously. Some of those losses are a bit questionable. So, a bit of history about this film, Dean. After the 2002 completion of Insomnia, Nolan presented to Warner Brothers a written 80-page treatment about a horror film envisioning dream stealers based on lucid dreaming. Deciding he needed a bit more experience before tackling a production of this magnitude and complexity, Nolan put the project aside and instead worked on Batman Begins, The Prestige, and The Dark Knight. And then he soon realised the film like Inception, needed a large budget because, as he says, as soon as you start talking about dreams, the potential of the human mind is infinite. 
And so the scale of the film has to feel infinite. It has to feel like you could go anywhere by the end of the film, and it has to work on a massive scale. So after making The Dark Knight, Nolan decided to make Inception then and spent six months completing the script overall. He states that the key to completing the script was wondering what would happen if several people shared the same dream. He says, once you remove the privacy, you've created an infinite number of alternate universes in which people can meaningfully interact with validity, with weight, with dramatic consequences. He likes the word infinite, doesn't he? I mean, I think it's I think it's relevant because when you do dream, anything is possible so i think i think it was really important for nolan to convey that on screen which wouldn't be an easy thing to do without coming across as you know over the top well he even shows it in a visual sense several times in this film like the looping uh, the looping staircase like the paradoxes. Yeah, like the, the staircase is infinite, going yeah. and going and going. So in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Nolan said that he based roles on the Inception team similar to roles that he used in a filmmaking team. He said Cobb is the director, Arthur's the producer, Ariadne is the production designer, Ames is the actor, Sato is the studio, and Fisher is the audience. In trying to write That's a- so cool. Yeah, he says, in trying to write a team-based creative process, I wrote the one I know. That is awesome. Never thought about it. Never no, thought about I, it like that, yeah? I neither, but it obviously it fits and it's so much easier easier and more uh, effective writing about what you know. So, yeah. bravo to Nolan for putting that onto a script that doesn't come across as obvious as well. Yeah. All right, let's look at some casting choices here, Dean. Tom Hardy! This is probably the first thing I've seen him in. One of the reasons why Nolan cast Tom Hardy was because of Rock and Roller. Yeah, I never saw Rock and Roller. Me neither. Hardy actually thought he cast him because of Bronson, which was out in the same year. Ugh. But when he went on set, he learned that Nolan had never seen Bronson. Probably a good thing. <laughs> Imagine if you saw that. Uh, nah, not anymore. <laughs> no, we'll pass. Kate Winslet was approached for the role of Mel, but she turned it down, citing she didn't see herself as that character. You mean Mol? Mol? Mel? Isn't it, is, it, is it the accent? There? It's the accent. It's yeah. Everywhere I look, it's written as M-A-L, as in Mal. Like, yeah, Mal. But in the movie, it's Mal! That's the accent for sure. <laughs> so before Alan Page was offered and accepted the role of Ariadne, Nolan had considered Evan Rachel Wood, Emily Blunt, Rachel McAdams, Emma Roberts, Taylor Swift, and Carrie Mulligan. Any of those stand out that could have been a good choice? I mean, Carrie Mulligan's always good. But no, I'd, I actually think Alan Page is very, uh, very well cast in this film. Because she's she's small, but she's got such this strong- Presence? No. Uh, I mean, yeah, presence, but such strong conviction. You know, she's not mm. backing down from anything. And she she breaks rules to try and get deeper into to Cobb's psyche. What's going on there? And she's strong enough to say, listen, I'm going to tell everyone if you don't bring me along. Which is great because she's presented as a, you know, a college student. And she's already- projected this already from, I believe, Hard Candy as well, which is a couple of years earlier. I haven't seen it. You gave it to me to watch. I assumed you'd seen it. No, is it good? Oh, yeah. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, she, she plays that kind of very strong character in that film. Yeah. And I believe Juno was before this as well. I think that was 2008, perhaps. Mm. But in an effort to combat confusion, television broadcasts in Japan included text in the upper left corner of the screen to remind the viewers which level of the dream a specific scene takes place in. Oh, come on. Surely that's, that's we, so stupid. Yeah. You didn't need it. You could clearly tell what is what. Oh, not always. Like, I think on first viewing, uh, it might have been like, oh, what's going on? But I think that's part of the fun. You know, part of the fun is getting lost in this film. And it's obviously a deliberate decision from Nolan to to try and make it a bit a bit messy in parts just to sort of unbalance the audience. Speaking of making it a bit messy and unbalancing, the narrative jumps between dream layers and all the story timeline a total of 223 times in this film. Yeah. He loves his, exactly. he loves his time cards. Remember the prestige? Yes, I do remember the prestige. Memento, obviously, is yes. the obvious one. Interstellar deals with time a lot. Batman Begins. Yeah, lots of cutbacks. Yep. Does Nolan have a film that is just straight linear? It's not following. It's not Interstellar. Dark Knight Rises. 
that would no, because you see flashbacks of Tom Hardy in the cave. Yep, I don't think he has a non-linear movie. The Dark Knight. I mean, that would come the closest. I is there maybe a flashback to when he was a kid? Gee, I Inso- don't. Insomnia? Did you say insomnia? No, I didn't say insomnia. I can't remember insomnia enough. No, me neither. I reckon The Dark Knight might be chronological. Fair enough then. But this was released on the 13th of July in 2010 with a runtime of 148 minutes with the tagline of your mind is the scene of the crime. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. Budget, $160 million. Nice. Grossed $293 million in America and worldwide $829 million. Wow. Yes, big success. And that's what's so great about Nolan as well. So much, so many of his films just demand to be seen in the cinema. Do you know what I mean? In this age. Yeah. I know. He loves his IMAX. Yeah, he loves the IMAX. So I think that really does benefit the box office numbers. But let's take a look at the history of Inception in the IMDb Top 250 list. It debuted on the 15th of July in 2010 at number 68. And then three days later, it was at number three. (laughs) Wow. Yes. It got as high as three. Jesus. Peaked at number three back then, and then for the next 10 years, it has hovered around the top 20. It's never gone below 16, I believe, looking at this graph, to where it currently sits right now at number 13, with an 8.7 over 1.9 million ratings. Incredible. One of the three highest rated movies on IMDb in terms of total amounts of ratings. Along with Dark Knight and Shawshank, is it? I believe so. Yeah. But it's your pick, Dean, of course, so you do the plot summary this week. All right, here we go. A thief who steals corporate secrets through the use of dream-sharing technology is given the inverse task of planting an idea in to the mind of a CEO. Man, that sounds boring. Yeah, they don't really try to sell the movie, do they? <laughs> not, not the greatest plot summary. <laughs> All right, mate, let's get into it. Start off with little black and white logos here. Very artsy, isn't it, Dean? Yeah, I love the way this is it Cynodoke? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. It, it, it has that maze background, mm. which obviously mazes play a big part of this film. Remind so. me of Prisoners. Yeah. Was it in Prisoners? There was a maze in yeah, Prisoners. Yeah. And obviously we hit straight away with, you know, some Hans Zimmer score. Yep. It's going to be hard not to just mention the score throughout this whole film. The score's incredible. It really is one of the all-time greats. It just, it, it elevates every single scene it's in. It elevates this movie. You know, I could imagine a weaker score in this film and this movie not being nearly as as revered. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When I watched Hans Zimmer Live in concert, this was the score that I was most interested in. Mm. That's the one I went back and listened to again live. And it's it is incredible. Incredible. The the track time in particular. Absolutely. Is That's fantastic. The one. one of our patrons, Hayden, actually alerted to me recently that the the time theme is comes up in Twelve Years a Slave which is also scored by Hans Zimmer. Oh, there you go. And there's like comparison, you know, clips I was listening to and the start of it is almost identical. It's that good. It really is. Like, why wouldn't you go back to that well? (laughs) But yeah, we get Cobb waking up on the beach. Cobb. How good are the names in this film, by the way? Cobb. Love Cobb. Cobb. Arthur. Yep. Ariadne. Have you ever heard that as a name before? No. It's weird. Ariadne. When I I saw, because I forgot how to say it, and then when I saw the names on IMDb, I'm like, is that like a silent E? It's like Ariadne? Ariadne? Like, I don't know. It's like, surely it's not Ariadne. And he's like, Ariadne. And I'm like, okay, that's that's actually what it is. (laughs) Ames. They're interesting names. But funny how Joseph Gordon-Levitt is just Arthur. Arthur. It's like the only normal name in this film. Yeah, it suits him though. He's sort of, you know, a bit more uptight. Yeah. Very proper with his skinny suit and tie. But no, Cobb wakes up on a beach. Yep, gets taken in. And straight away, you have no idea what's going on. Oh, of course not. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, okay, how do you wake up on a beach? You've got, you know, these Asian men with guns in your face. Like, what the fuck is going on? Then you see Ken Watanabe looking about 90 years old. 
that's generous. Looks at least 120. Wow. But you get introduced to the spinning top here immediately. Yeah. And like you said, you've got no idea what this thing is. And the spinning top obviously plays a massive part in this movie. Yeah, it does. And it's great that Sato recognizes that straight away. And he, his whole demeanor changes and he's just like, are you here to kill me? Now, obviously, this is a non-linear movie and this is a scene that is taking place later on in the film. Do you like that that scene is here now? Do you think it, it didn't need to be here? No, I love that it's here. It sets up the, the mind fuck that is this movie. Because, And I love that because at the end of the movie, when you get this scene happening, you're already aware of, oh, okay, so this is that. They're in, they're in the- you, yeah. you that sort of light bulb moment at the end where it's like, oh, so that's what that is. So for now, you could just be thinking this is this is obviously real. This is just a meeting they've had between each other. And it, especially when it cuts to the young version of Saito and Cobb is the same age. Like, yeah. hang on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I love this meeting with young Saito, how you find out later on that it's a dream. You're still learning about this sort of stuff. Like, it looks like a genuine meeting. And then, yeah. you know, situations that are happening outside in the real world, or so we think, mm. is happening in there. Like, the explosions from the attack outside, they, you hear them in the dream. Mm. That's what I love about this film. It, like, the lev- obviously, the levels of each dream and how every piece incorporates into each dream. Yeah. Super complicated, but it's not a film that, like, is too hard to understand. I think it's more a film that you enjoy researching more, that you enjoy thinking about more and more, where it's not it's not complicated in a boring sense. It's, you know, it inspires thought. Yeah. Whereas it's not like you, you don't care about finding out and don't care about discovering all the sort of intricacies to this plot. You really do want to get your head around it because it's so rewarding on multiple rewatches. How many times have you seen it? Why do uh, you, you think about that? This, maybe, is, this maybe, is my third. Uh, two, three, four. I would say five. Fair enough. Did you see it at the cinema? Yes. Yeah, me too. Definitely. I don't remember seeing it at the cinema, but I know that I did, if that makes sense. Yes. But straight away, this meeting with Cobb and Sado. Mm-hmm. And Arthur. And Arthur, yep. They do start- They bring in the idea of a dream. And they explain straight away, like, they are extractors and they steal from people's dreams. Yeah. This is this whole- They're trying to, to sort of set this, set Sado up to think about a, something he doesn't want them to get. And Cobb keeps talking, or he tells Arthur later, he's like, did you see when I brought up, like, secrets and stuff? He looks straight away to the safe. We need to get inside that yeah. safe. What he's hiding is in that safe. And I love how the representation of a secret is an actual safe with the secret inside it. Yeah. But Mal pops up in the dream here. Yeah. Isn't she stunning? Marion Cotillard. Marion Cotillard. Never looked better than she does in this film. Not a fan of her in Dark Knight Rises? Of course I am. But there's something about her in this film. She's so mysterious and threatening. And do you know what I mean? Like, she's she's scary. Like, there are scenes here. There's a couple of fucking jump scares in this movie that took me (laughs) by surprise. And she's just, she brings that intensity to the role that I just adore. Yeah, she's very good in this film. Like you said, she's that extra layer of complexity throughout this entire film that you've got to worry about. Mm. But I didn't get this. even, Even still, like, it's not like, it's like they're having a conversation still. Like when Cobb sees her, they stop and talk. Like, it's not like he's trying to run away from her every single time. It's like, what are you doing here? It's like, it's, it's still a, a mutual conversation there. So it's not like she's a an outright villain ready oh, to take yeah, everyone she's down. She's not some mindless monster that's, you know, running around literally trying to kill them or anything. Yeah. Like she's she's, you know, a representation of herself in this. She's yeah. still her, just a uh, projection of her. But I do love that Cobb and Mal are in this room and he's like, I, I just can't trust you anymore. Now, can you stay sitting on this chair while I grapple yeah. down the building? I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, come on. on. What, what are you doing? I love how she just disappears. Yeah. Yep, but you get uh, Cobb going all Bond here. Oh, super spy mode. Yeah. 
the way he fires a gun and then catches the bullet shells so they yeah. don't hit the floor and make a noise. I was like, damn, son. Because it's all it's all dream. He can just dream the stuff that's going to happen. It's very impressive. But unfortunately, Mal writes him out. There's a lot of things to learn in this film. A lot of exposition, I guess you could say. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like exposition. No. It doesn't feel like they're just telling the audience what's going on because these characters don't know what's going on. Because it, it's actually happening when they say it as well. Like this point here, when they like got the gun to Arthur, he's like, you know that if he if you kill him, he just wakes up. He's not going to die. Yeah. Rather than looking at us saying, if they kill him, he will not die. Yeah. But then they, they introduce the point of pain as well. Like without, yeah, spoon feeding it to you. Shoot him in the knee and you can tell, yeah, he's, he's clearly in pain. Yeah. And this is a great action scene where Cobb is running through and everything's falling apart around him. Yep. And he's trying to you know, get the documents, read them, learn the secrets. And it's at this point he sort of realizes that nothing's there. Like he's, they're being played. You know, Sato knows yeah. that he's, Sato's auditioning them. Yeah, exactly. Which is like, whoa, like you think you think Cobb and Arthur are there to get one on him. And it's like, no, Sato is, has already got you wrapped around his finger. I love it how he opens up the document and there's just like big bolded parts of it blanked out. He's yeah. like, what the hell? Yeah. It's like, perfect. And then the back and forth here of trying to wake Cobb up, but pushing him in the bath. And as he falls in the water, you just see you know, the water, the coming, water just the, coming at yeah. him. And he just, and that shot there of him standing oh, as the water just yep. like explodes through the walls. Yep. Sensational. It is. But this next twist is it's incredible. Dream in a dream. It's dream in a dream. And it's almost comical when they say, a dream within a dream because it's so I've heard that so much and I've heard yeah. that like parodied so much but here it's it's played seriously and when when Sato you know is on the carpet he's feeling like you know how soft yeah, it is and he's that's like how he nah, realizes. this isn't right a dream within a dream it's 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 like whoa awesome. and even then he's like I'm impressed you've passed the test yeah yep this is here where we get basically Cobb's first spinning of the top you can see he's on a bit of a Bit of a suicide watch here yeah, as well. He's, I didn't remember this actually, where he's got the gun to his head and he spins the top, and mm. it's like, well, if that just keeps going, he's going to kill himself. Yeah. It's like, fuck. Really ties into what happens with Mel in this film. Yeah, it does. And we are set up that, you know, we're sort of on this suicide watch with Cobb a bit, and we learn why here to some extent. We learn what's going on with his family, and we get a, a backstory to him. And the fact that he's able to talk to his kids is great. I think I'd forgotten that as well, that he actually can talk to them. Mm. He just, he can't see them. Yeah. You know, and every time you see them turn up in his dream, he just looks away like he doesn't want to, you know, see their faces. He just, he can't let himself get attached to those you know, projections because he knows they're not real and he, he's seen what it did to Ma- Mal, Mole. Either one. So annoying. He's seen what it did to Mole. Mole? Mal? It's really going to annoy me. Marion Cotillard isn't any better, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but that image he sees of his kids with their back to him, mm. that's like the last image he's seen of them in real life. So yeah. that's what he attaches it to. And it works perfect in the end when, you know, when he gets to the end and the same shot with their back to him and he turns around. Finally, you see their faces where every other time it's just, it could be anywhere within the dream and it's just them on the ground, playing with their back to him. Mm. And even this here where the kids are asking, is mummy with you? And he's just mm. like, he's in pain. He's just like, oh, mummy's not here anymore. She's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Does he say she's dead? Probably oh, not, but- No, I think he does. Does he? I think he does mention that. Yeah. Yep. Cobb and Arthur ready to bail here because uh, they didn't get, they didn't pass the dream, I guess. They didn't get the secret. So, the company that they were working for or after them. Yeah. Yep. But Cobb- That's a rough industry. That's a rough industry where, well, you didn't do the job right. We're going to kill you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's the that's the world they live in. But the previous architect rats them out to Sado. Yep. <laughs> and he gets done for it too, doesn't he? Oh yeah, he gets he gets killed here. And yep. even when when they go and see Sado in the helicopter, and he's just like, "Oh, Cobb, do you want to take care of this?" He's like, "No, nah, that's not how we do things." Hmm. I was like, "Oh, we will then." Yep. See you later. 
So we actually learn what it, the word inception means here, putting an idea in someone's mind and making them think it's theirs. Now, this could be a really dumb question. Okay. Was Coming the, from you, probably is. Was the word inception around before this movie? I don't know. Okay. So it's not a dumb question if you don't know then. Like, did Nolan invent the word inception? Probably not. Surely it, it meant something. And now it's just attributed to the movie. I wouldn't put it past him to actually make up that word. It's such a cool word. It is. So, Sado's basically hired them because he wants them to get Killian Murphy to disband his father's business. He, he is his biggest competitor, and once he's gone, he takes basically control Monopoly. of the entire Monopoly. Yep. He does say an interesting line here. Do you want to take a leap of faith or become an old man filled with regret waiting to die alone? Which definitely comes back a lot throughout the film and obviously foreshadowing what actually happens with Sato. Mm, yeah. But we get Cobb now. He goes to Paris and he sees Michael Caine, the Nolan staple. Yes, it is. Who plays Miles. Michael Caine and Nolan is the Bill Murray to Wes Anderson, the De Niro to Scorsese, the DiCaprio to Scorsese. <laughs> I, I really like this scene because, you know, Cobb is there to try and get Miles to give him one of, you know, the best sort of students he's got to try and create mazes and stuff. Yeah. And Michael Caine just says to him, like, oh, do it yourself. Design it yourself. And when Cobb says, I can't, yeah. Mal won't let me, Michael Caine just looks sad. He looks yeah. really, really sad. He's just like, come back to reality. Like, she's gone. What Cobb's do you mean she won't so many, let He's got so many demons. Yeah, he does. But here's where we meet Ariadne, the new architect. Yeah, and again, I like this scene where designer designer maze in two minutes, it'll take me one minute to solve or whatever. And he's just, nah, crap, do better, do better. And then she does the circle one, which works. Apparently, they're very hard. I wonder if she had to prove that she could solve it, if it was solvable. Yeah, just draw some squiggly lines yeah. in there. <laughs> but this is a pretty iconic scene here where they're at the coffee shop. Basically, gives her the, the job. You need to create the worlds in the dreams that we're going to be getting involved in. I love how he explains it. You know, you always forget the beginnings of dreams. Yeah. Just that they're, and then she realizes they're in the dream now. It's like, even it, it goes back to the start where he just wakes up on the beach. Mm. Like, okay, where am I? Yeah. What's happened? Doesn't matter. Exactly. You're in the middle of it. And that, they, you know, there's so many little twists. And like this, they have this whole conversation and then, oh, twist, you're in the dream already. Yeah. It's great. But this scene, this almost was my excellent. It's very, very memorable. Like, I've seen behind the scenes of this, like, not all of this is uh, CG and all that sort of shit. There's actually explosions going off, which obviously just chalked up to slow-mo, and then they mm -hmm. added all the effects of, like, the little smaller things, like, blowing yep. up. But Nolan, he tries to do as little CG as possible in all his films. Yeah, but when she physically flips the city on itself- oh, So like, good. Oh, Wow, it's it's incredible. It's like they're just walking around, and she picks this up so quickly. They're just walking around, and she just makes a bridge. Yeah. And I love that they didn't do anything stupid, like needing hand movements. Like it would have been real easy to sort of like try and magneto it. You know, stick the hand nah, out. You and, don't need that. And look like you're trying. Maybe shake your hand a it's little. All in the mind. She's mate. just walking around talking, and she's just creating as she goes. It's really good. Then she gets to the point where there's this huge mirror door. She closes the doors on each other, creating like this huge, you know, mirror on mirror. Yeah. You know, not illusion, but effect, and then psh, smashes the the mirror, and it's everything that you could see is in existence now. It's so good, and even Cobb's impressed. He's like, "Wow!" But not he, does, bad. he gives her the warning though, like you can't keep changing stuff throughout the the dream, otherwise the subconscious is going to start picking up on this. And I love how you gradually see that where all the other people just start to look at her. Just starts of a, starts off as them just looking at her, and as she does more and more things, they all start to surround her and try to take her down. 
does the architect, so she's being the architect here, right? Yeah. Is she? Well, she's yes. the one changing everything. Yeah. Do we see later on dreams being changed in real time? Because I'm just thinking about it now. She's walking around just doing whatever the fuck she wants here. We don't really see that that level of power come back when they're actually, you know, on the inception level tour, if you will. You think it by the uh, the third level at least that they would have the, the the reasoning to do that because the subconscious are already attacking them. There's mm-hmm. no need to try and hide it. Yeah. Even the first level, like, why wouldn't you just put up, like, huge walls around you? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's never a point where they're like, oh, we're fucked. All right, Ariadne, whoever's the architect of this one. Is Ariadne the architect on everyone? It is, isn't it? She and they she's, just, the, yeah. she's the architect. Yep. Anyway, again, we get an appearance from Mal here. Very violent, this one. Yeah. Like, there's no blood or anything. Great American PG-13, you know, movie here. But because <laughs> I, I actually pulled the kids in at this point when they start, when she starts realizing it's a dream. I was like, oh, kids, you got to watch this scene. Like, this is incredible. <laughs> and then it ends with this crazy woman just going up and stabbing. I was like, Zara, close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it is so it's shocking, you know? And then I love that they wake up and she's like, that's some fucking subconscious you've got there, yeah. Cobb. Maybe less fucks. Yeah, I don't think there is one, is there? Nah, there wouldn't be. There might be like one. It's a PG-13. They get, they get one. Don't need it in this film. But more information for us now. Five minutes in the real world is an hour in the dream. Which will play such a huge Everything. role later. Yeah. We've already learned that people are the subconscious. Information gets locked in the vaults. We learn more about the totems here, about the spinning top. And you know, Arthur has his die, his loaded die. Yep, that's right. We also learn that's that's why Cobb starts to freak out a little bit, is because she's created a, a real place. Yeah, and he mentions to her, "Don't create a place you know in real life, because it can you, you it can alter your perception of reality. Yeah, you you can lose forget, your perception yeah, of reality. You can forget yeah. which one's real. Yeah. So it's great that when she made this place, you get flashbacks of." Cobb and Mal on that bridge together. Yeah, it's like oh fuck, Cobb's been there. Yep, <laughs> but no, let's let's get some aims. Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy into this. We need a thief, a forger. I'd seen this before Warrior, but I completely forgot that like Tom Hardy was a thing, I guess, at this yeah, point. Yeah, me too. Because yeah. he's, he's- I mean, when I watched this, I didn't come away going, oh, man, Tom Hardy was so good at all. Like, he's very- he's meek. But now that you love Tom Hardy, you sort of watch this and you're like, oh, he's so cool in this movie. And straight away when we're introduced to him, you get that he is sort of on Cobb's level where we saw Inception get brought up around Arthur and his immediate reaction was, oh, it's not possible. And as soon as you meet Tom Hardy here, he's like, oh, it is possible. It's just very, very hard. Well, Arthur is the uh, straight man, like you said. He's he's more towards the audience. I guess he's trying to tell us it's impossible so that when it ha- does happen, we're like, wow. <laughs> I thought did it. that was impossible. <laughs> <gasps> we get a little chase scene here because the, uh, what is it, the company have found him? Yes, the company that he failed to get Sado's secrets yeah. from have found him and they want to kill him. Yep. Very publicly in- They don't care. In a city. I don't know. This, this feels like a dream. Like, this really does. And that shot, I remember the shot in the trailer actually where Cobb is squeezing between the two walls and it looks like the trailer made it look like the walls are like coming in on him yeah such well shot and he gets through I I just love that and of course Sato's there it's like oh we lost a towel but we found another one well Ames also mentions as well here that if you're going to start planning ideas why don't you try with the relationship between Killian Murphy and his father Mm. that's where that comes from best way to get to him yeah and I love that later on they're talking about how how to do it and say oh you know he hates his father so much he's going to break up his company they're like no it needs to be it's much better if it's more a positive thing where yeah. it's you know his father doesn't want him to to be him and they they actually go through 
you know, each each level on what what their goal is. Like the top level, you know, their goal is I will not follow in my father's footsteps. The second level is I will create something for myself to finally reaching the level where my father doesn't want me to be him. And it's great that they sort of lay that out and they start. I love the planning of this this caper. Yeah. Like it really is a heist film. It is, yeah. And even the way they set it up with all the layers where they kidnap him in the first layer, they make they tell him in the second one that this is a dream mm. and they make it look like Tom Berenger is the one who's doing all the dirty work here. Yeah. And they convince Killian Murphy, we're going to go into his mind yeah. to get this secret. When they, obviously, it's in his. Yeah, and he's a part of the team. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like That's great. Again, making it making them think that it's his idea. Yeah. But here in this big section, I think there's a lot more rules and regulations, I guess, we learn. We learn a lot about loops and the multiple layers, the paradoxes. My head started to hurt a little bit here. Yeah, it reminds me of the poster that you see, you know, in- Colleges every now and then in movies, the the stairs, the upside down stairs, yeah. there's shit in labyrinth. Yep, you know all that stuff. It's all yeah, they froth over this. That's but I good. like how you see that that loop stairs with Arthur and Ariadne. Yeah, but then it's like it's just your perception of it, and then you, it cuts back, and it's just it's the way it should be, which is just there continuously going up, which comes back later on in the stairwell when he throws the guy off. Yeah, Yusef gets involved here. They go to Yusef. meet him. Here's where we learn about the sedative. Yeah, which plays a huge role, like massive. We don't, we don't know that yet, though. That's the thing. No, we don't. But when we learn that, well, you can't actually just kill yourself to get out because they're sedated, you'll be fucked. It's like everyone freaks out. And fair enough. Like yeah. part of you know the ability to go into dreams and stuff, the lack of risk. Yeah, there's no stakes. If you die, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, so smart saying, all right, well, let's let's turn that on its head a bit where if you do die, you're fucked. Yeah. Because you're right. You need stakes. You need it to matter if someone gets shot and he's dying. But you need to you need to have that get introduced when you can't get out of it. Yeah. Which is great. We do get a bit of distance here between Killian Murphy, Robert, his name is, and Maurice, his dad, Pete Postlewaith. Pete Postlewaith. You see that photo next to the bed as well of a young Robert as well. Uh, I read some trivia. The young Maurice, I guess, is actually Killian Murphy dressed up as a, like an older man. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. I also like how they set up that not to show Cobb the maze so that Mal doesn't know the like you know where to go. Yeah. And again, that comes back in that last last layer where you know Cobb's like, all right, have you created some loophole? Like we need to get there quicker. We don't have time anymore. Yeah. And Ariadne is like, I really don't think I should tell you. And it comes, and she's like, no, no, no. There's this vent that you can get through real quick, and then a straight and away. Mel's there. Yep. It's like, fuck. We get we get a scene here where Ariadne walks in on Cobb going under by himself. Yeah. You know, and he says he's doing experiments and stuff, which was odd. He's talking to Mal. Yeah. He can't he can't not. Yep. And this is this is the growth of Cobb throughout the whole film, which he, you know, obviously becomes a very three-dimensional character. And, you know, his art gets completed later on when he finally tells Mal, like, you know, you have to go. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. When he says she's she's not, you know, a shadow of what what she is in in yeah. or was in real life. Exactly. But we do learn that the spinning top was Mal's totem, not Cobb's. We don't ever actually learn what Cobb's totem was. Now, I believe that Cobb's totem now is the spinning top. Yeah. But a lot of people say that his wedding ring is his totem. Yeah, that plays a little bit of a hint, hint, wink, wink towards the end of the film as well. Yeah, but we'll get to that. Yes. Don't wink at me, Dean. <laughs> I didn't wink at you. Did did, I wink you at did you? wink at me. <laughs> My bad. So they do they do, do some more exposition exposition saying they need a ten hour flight so they can settle up and Sado buys a whole airline, all that sort of stuff. But that was that was a, a funny line. 
He's like, have we got a, a, a plane we can use for a full 10-hour trip that no one will walk in? He goes, I just bought the company. Like, yeah. All right, then. Yeah, because they're like, oh, we need, we need to buy all the first-class seats and we probably need to buy the, the flight attendant there. He's like, I just bought the airline. Yep, nice. Yeah, it's good. But now Ariadne walks in on Cobb's experiments again and actually joins him here. Mm. And this is where we basically learn what has happened here. Yeah. Yeah, we basically see the setup for why he has this memory of his kids without seeing their faces because he's basically been told by this company, we need to go right now if you want to take this job. And he doesn't never gets the chance to go out and say goodbye to them. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I do like going through the different levels of Cobb's dreams here. See the anniversary room? The anniversary room, which will play a big part, obviously. But, you know, we, we also get the you're waiting for a train, a train that will take you far away, that whole speech yeah. for the first time, which they do say a lot. And I do love it, but you know, even even the you said we'd grow old, old together, and she's losing her shit by the end of this, and you know Ariadne's like running away. Get the hell out it's of here. Very tense, like it's, it is. It really, it really is a thrilling scene. And by this point, you know they're going to be going into the dream soon, and you, all you're thinking about is how is Mel gonna fuck this up? Yep. Speaking of the dream, we're getting to it now. We've set up all the rules and what their plans are, and all the different layers. They're and on the plane now. The synchronized kick that they're going to be doing. Do you think? Yeah, you know, like this is this is a futuristic film they've got all these you know high-tech dream technology you think they could have gone wireless at some point you know wireless like cuts in and out every once in a while <laughs> you got the cords it's like just gonna happen you imagine if you're like in the dream and then the wi-fi goes down that would happen here i'll tell you that because they like there are a lot of wires on this first class thing where they're just pulling all these wires you to just everyone. see the signal bars up the top that like, goes from like four to three like oh shit <laughs> All right, let's get into the first layer, which is Yusuf's dream. They kidnap Robert and they get ambushed immediately. Yep. So, okay, well, we didn't expect this. Holy shit. Yep, because this guy- he's already, had, he's already had this training. He's had he's had training. Yep. And, uh, they we were not, not prepared for this level. <laughs> exactly. Sato gets shot, unfortunately, and, and this is where we learn. If you die while under sedation, you'll go into limbo. Leo is so great here. Yes, he is. This is another scene where I put down possible excellent. There's, there's a bunch of excellence, but I think I found one that stands out just a touch. Yeah, me too. And I, um, I don't know if it'll be the same, actually. I'm not sure. We'll see. Oh, we, but- forgot to ta- we forgot to mention that Ames has been able to successfully uh, do the movements of Tom Berenger, Browning, so he can impersonate him. Yeah. And he's so, he's so not so he's so he's not subtle about, oh, what, what's your secret code? Like, oh, they've, they've, I've been under two days of torture. Yeah. Just, what, what was your code? You just got to tell them the code. What, what's your code? It's just you and me here. What's your code? <laughs> I love that it's, it, they get to the point with that whole thing where it's like, it doesn't matter what numbers he says. They don't need it to be anything meaningful. They just need it yeah. to, in his mind, this is a code. Yeah. And they're like, just just say the first six numbers that come to your mind. Just say yeah. it right now. Yeah. But no, it's it's after here where Cobb tells Ariadne that Mal and him were in limbo for about 50 years. Yeah, that's a very long time to be in limbo. And we're introduced to Mal struggling with a sense of reality and she got to a point where she believed that that was real. I love how when they're in limbo and you see them playing with the like the blocks of sand on the on the ground and then as they push one over you see in the background that very same block it's like they it's the thing they've built in this limbo place that comes crumbling to the ground as well like they're building this place as they as they're there and to see it on a small scale where in the background this massive tower just destroys itself behind them very good visualization there. I completely did not see that. Wow. There yeah. you go. go back and watch that. It was fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, like you said, Mal, when they got out of limbo, she she couldn't handle it. She thought that this was still not reality. 
Yeah, and this is where Cobb performed Inception on her. He doesn't admit to it here, right? But this is where, you know, Cobb is telling Ariadne that Mal was possessed by this idea, this really simple idea, and we've heard that before. Like, yes. to perform Inception, you need the simplest form of the idea. But the, the idea is our world wasn't real, and that to get home, they had to kill themselves. Yeah. Right? So, you know, you see them with their heads on the tracks, we're waiting for a train, all that sort of stuff. And then you cut to the hotel room again, and you do get this scene fully fleshed out and played out where he's he's singing he's walking into a hot anniversary date yep. and she's on the other side you know on the other side the other building this is this is a rough watch it, it's so incredible and you know she's asking him to take a leap of faith again that sense of you know faith and mm-hmm. you know trust and what's real and what's not comes up and oh and, and the way that she set she set Cobb up for murder as well that was a particularly cruel touch it's definitely a blackmail so you come with me or this is going to happen yeah and like what what a choice and again Leo is so good in this scene as is Mal but yeah really like Leo and he's like think of Philippa think of James come on it's like oh yep that she's off the ledge and Cobb is distraught destroyed was did Leo get anything for this performance no it really is a great like Oscars aside like it is a great performance it is but we're back in dream one here and they're making the plan here they knock Robert out they get him in the van and it's a big car chase in the van while they're asleep basically getting into the dream too but before that they have to do a bit of a tactical shooting down of some projections here this is a line I always remember when Arthur's shooting with the machine gun and up comes Ames with the rocket launcher you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger darling it's a nice little light-hearted moment. It's funny. And yeah, they're basically trying to set Robert up to repair the relationship with his father by destroying his relationship with Browning, who's his godfather as well. So obviously they have a good relationship, these two. Yeah. Which it's good that it's good that it starts out as they're not starting as adversaries at no. all. But you know, Cobb and the team are able to totally change how he sees Browning and make Browning this big villain in his life. It's really good. Works perfect. Second level, we do the Mr. Charles play here, where it basically tells him he is in a dream. And I love how he says that and then just everything stops. Mm, when all the subconscious realise, what? Yep. That was fantastic. Yeah, this Mr. Charles thing. I love that. It's like, no, nah, we can't do that. It never works. This is the scene. Do you remember that? Or do you remember the meme that's going around with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, with Squinting? the squinty eyes. Like, yeah. mm. Mm. It's, it's not what it's like in this movie. It's just that it's one screenshot which captures that that expression. Yeah. But Leah, Cobb's so convincing here. It's like, come on, we know each other. You remember your training. I'm Mr. Charles. I'm in charge down here. I'm in charge of your security. And I love how- before the dream starts, he actually has some contact with Robert on the plane just before he goes to sleep. So he's got like this is the last person he saw before yeah. he goes to sleep. So that works perfect. Yeah. So it's not as yeah, it's not as crazy that if he does remember that, you know, this guy in the dream looks like him, it's like, well, I just saw him. So yeah. that makes sense. You notice that Ellen Page has her hair tied up in a bun here. Do you know why that was? No, I have no idea. Tell me. So it was much easier to film the zero gravity scenes. So they never have to have a hair floating around all the place. I do wonder how they filmed the zero gravity stuff. Like I know how they filmed the room and the gravity changing. Yeah. They, you know, mount the camera. They built this full set that spins around 360. Incredible. Like you see the shot of it from the outside. It looks amazing. And that scene is incredible. But how they did the zero gravity. Because it's so convincing. Like they're just floating through the air. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming just 
wires that are taken out in yeah, post. Yeah, it has to be that. It, it is very convincing. And again, seeing the second level shift based on the car chase in the first dream is great. Like when they go around corners and you see like the, the, the place start to rumble and shake and, and it tilt starts a with like the, the glass, the water level moving. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, and even when they hit like a pothole or something and, and the and the water, the rain rushes over the car and you just see the, the rain just come flying at them in the second dream. Yeah. Oh, and unusual weather we're having. Yeah. <laughs> but no. Now we get into the next level. You get to the Hoth planet. <laughs> Well done. And we do love snow on this podcast, I would say. It looks beautiful. Do you know the inspiration for this scene? Obviously, it's not Hoth then. No. What is it? Nolan is a big Bond fan. On Her Majesty's Secret Service was his inspiration for this scene. It's his favourite Bond film, and that is very centred towards snow and ski chases and everything in there. Fair enough. But while they're down there, while you've got uh, Arthur in the second dream trying to wrangle everyone together to get ready Mm. for the kick, and you've got Yusuf in the first dream trying to get everyone ready for the kick. He's getting shot at, Yusuf. Yeah. This is where we have- the hallway scene you were talking about before, where oh, because of the, so because good. because the car chase in the first uh, dream is going left and right, especially at this point when he goes over the edge of the hill, mm. and, that's and they where- they were meant to to do the jumps then, yeah. And they missed it. And you see the car and the van spinning around up, upside down. It's slow-mo. Everyone's tilting. And you see in the second dream how this hallway and it- You know, you, you were talking about before how- How do they do this? Like, you see them- You see Arthur fighting this guy, this subconscious- He's on the he's on the ground one point, and then he sees crawling up the wall, and then they're upside down. Obviously, you've seen the behind the scenes of how yep. they did this. The way this whole scene is sorted out, where you have got the back and forth of the gravity changing in the first dream, gravity changing in the second dream, with that score, the way it's set, and you just don't you don't even see it. It's still in the same. It's still the camera is still set in its spot, and it's going back and forth. The fight is fantastic. The gravity changing is it's I love it, and you can see it in some of those posters. That is the shot. It's like on an angle where they're fighting on the wall and stuff. Yeah, like that. it is great. It's not just great. It's excellent. Yeah, okay. Didn't make my top three. Okay. This wasn't one of my possible excellence, but uh, yeah, I, I, you can't argue with great it. Great scene it's nonetheless. Great. It is great. Yeah, so Yusuf thinks on his feet. We've got to make this kick by uh, backing off the bridge into the into the water. Yeah. And even that through the rest of the scene now, just them going off the bridge. I love how it just there's so much shit happening in the second and the third dream and just cuts back to the first one, just slow-mo, just slowly going down off the bridge. Yeah. We did get a lot of shots of the van Falling into the water. You need to know where they are a at that lot. point. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so let's go. It's like a commentator. And let's cut back to the first dream. And they're still there. All right, back to the second dream. But now going back to the snow dream. Yeah. They're climbing the mountain. Looks incredible. They got snow camo gear on. Looks amazing. You got the skis and the snowmobiles going. You got these huge automatic weapons firing at them. Nice big action set piece here. Yeah, Hans Zimmer scores going oh. off tap. So good. But Cobb hesitates here. Basically almost ruins the whole plan. Get Fisher to the vault. They're ready to go in and you got Cobb there with the sniper. Mal shows up. Yeah. Because like you said, they had to give him the he had to know the maze to get the shortcut. Yeah. And this this hesitation, it's not just a hesitation, it's like he does hesitate, but Ariadne's with him. She's like, What what are you doing? Come on. And he says she's saying to him, like, she's not real, like, come on. And what he says back to her says, How do you know that? I was like, Damn! What are you doing? He's really fallen here. Like, I didn't realize, like, how much he really struggled with what is and what isn't real until this moment here where he's in now, what, three, four levels, three levels deep into dreams. He's like, how do we know she's not real? I can't kill her. It's like, wow. 
Wow. And you see, like, on Ariadne's face, like, man, you are. You're all kinds are messed up. I like the use of playing the song as well when you got their yeah. headphones on to let yep. know the kick is coming. So yep. get ready. At this point, uh, Arthur has got everyone into the elevator together, wrapped them all up, and he's blown the cable. Mm-hmm. I love how he blows that cable, but it's because the gravity is just, there's no gravity. It just stays there. Mm. He's like, oh shit, okay. <laughs> I need to actually get the, a bomb onto the back of this elevator to blow it into something. Yeah. But uh, we're at the point now in the, the snow planet where Fisher, he's shot, he's dying, he's dead. I you thought know. Sato was dead by now too, but he's not. No, he's definitely not. No. And that's important that he's not. Yes. Um, but Ariadne, she's she's great at thinking on her feet. She's like, nah, let's let's go to limbo. You think Arthur's we need the, a follow, Arthur's we need the a straight follow guy here? No, I think Ari- Ar- Arthur's the straight man in this film. Ariadne is the voice of reason in this film. She's almost the brains of this film. She is. She gets- she's the one that creates the whole the whole yeah. worlds they're in. Yeah. But no, we get them waking up on the beach as we saw Cobb do in the first, you know, opening shot of the film, basically. Yeah. And this world, this limbo world is falling apart. That's right, because Fisher dies and they have to they have to they've chase to, him yeah, down. They've got yeah. to chase him in there. Yeah. They've got to bring him back. Yeah, and they go through all of Cobb's memories, all the yeah. houses, all that sort of stuff. This is where we find out as well that she the thing in Mel's vault was her spinning top. Mm. That was the thing she locked away. Yeah. Yeah, but Mel's at the house. Hold on, before we get that, okay. this, this is the bit where Cobb tells Ariadne about Inception. Like, he's like, there's something you need to know about me, no. about Inception. You know, it's it's a virus. It can grow to define you and destroy you. Yeah. Um, and Cobb feels so guilty because he performed Inception on Mel. And yeah, that's where we find that out, which is great. Not so great for Mal, though. No. But it's good, though, because you sort of think like they're doing wonderfully in Limbo, but he's like, nah, she struggled. She was she was lost here. She wasn't the same person. Yeah. I had to do something because she thought this was real and she was so unhappy here. But they managed to give Fisher the kick, literally, out the window. I like that scene where that, that feeling, that feeling like you're falling, they're actually falling this time. Like it's a fair fall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. He wakes up, the door, the vault opens. And this is where he- Sado, Sado's d- dead by here. Yes. Yeah. He's off into limbo for yeah. eternity almost. Yep. This is a nice scene with Fisher and his, his dad. Oh, it's really emotional. Yeah. Pete Postlewaith, uh, really good in the very small amount of screen time he has here. Yep. He gets the idea. I love how he opens a vault and you think it's the last will, but no, it's the pinwheel that gets him from his childhood, which is the which is what he has in the photo with his father. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the thing that t- sends him over the edge. No, that's great. But here's where we just get everything in sync here. All the kicks, all the explosions, timing up perfect. I love how you see the shots of like Ariadne, she falls off the, the building and you see her, her eyes open up in the in the yep. in the third dream. And the explosion happens, she goes under the rubble yep. and you see her eyes open up in the second one just as she's about to hit the bloody top yep. of the elevator. Opens her eyes up in the, the van just as the water sprays it. Like it and that's time with the score as well. Like right at the end when the water gushes over everyone, it's like as, as yeah. the song finishes. Like, wow, worked perfect. Yeah, but Cobb does not come back. No, he's still there. He dies in the van here, mm. which is great because then he goes to Limbo. He needs to go to Limbo. Right? We need to get back to that first scene. He's gotten out of Limbo, yeah. right? And that's important, but in that time, Sato's already gone there, and because of the way time works so much slower, the deeper you go, and mm-hmm. in Limbo, that even though it's so quick between- you know, He's died like minutes Sa- later. Sato getting there, and then he comes out and he dies straight away. It's been decades, and Sato's now this old man. Because I did- a, I sort of finished, and I was like, hold on a sec. Why is he so old there? But then you, you do start to think, you know, okay, because he's because he's time. Well done, because he's because <laughs> he's he's left limbo and he's gone back there. That that short amount of time has been decades for Sado in there. So 
But he's there. He, he, there's a lot of discussion about if you go in limbo for so long, you'll obviously you'll lose your perception of reality, which is what happens to Mal. Hmm. And he worries that this is what's happened to Sato. But he manages to convince him this is this is fake. This is not the real world. He, you know, it's been decades, like you said, since he's seen him. Shows hmm. him the spinning top, and they they reminisce on what was the quote they said earlier about young men leap of faith. Yeah, and he remembers that he's like, yeah, this world isn't real. All right, it's like time to go home. Yeah, and they'll wake up on the plane, and and everything's good. Pretty much. I love the worried look that Cobb gives to Sato when he wakes up. He's like, what's he going to do? He's going to freak out. He's just he's looking around like, oh, oh, what is this? <laughs> that was so good. straight away, picks up the phone. Yeah. Great memory. Remembers the phone number to call. Absolutely. It's great. And I love the little hints of uh, Robert at the airport when he sees the crew. He's like, hmm, what? Mm. That's interesting. Mm. That's that, I feel like I, I know this person. Yeah, which is how it is. Like You've got to remember, obviously, when you wake up nine times out of ten, more than that, you forget your dreams. Yeah. And if you start to remember them, they just disappear so quickly. I actually forgot how quickly this film ends after the after the plane ride. After they wake up from the plane, it is, what, four minutes or so and it's over. But how can we not talk about the ending, Dean? Even even just before we get to that last scene, even just Cobb going through the airport, the, the music- oh, And a little head nods incredible. It's not the head nods, but he goes through the airport and he's he's getting his passport checked. Mm. He's like, is, am I going to get through here? He, yep. Welcome home. And then he goes and you see Michael Caine standing there to greet him. It's so like emotionally rewarding that, okay, this is what he's wanted the whole time. And then he goes to that house, same house, same room, doors open. Shop, and he, shot for shot. Yeah, sees the two kids out there wearing similar clothes and it's he spins his top. No, he doesn't he spin his top first, then see the kids and walk away from the spinning top before it drops. Probably. Because I think that plays a big part. Because obviously the, the obviously the big ending here where he goes sees his kids, he sees their faces, he's happy, he walks off, and it just focuses on that spinning top and it wiggles just a little bit. Just a little bit. It goes for a while. Yeah, and then it stops. Yeah. Now what what it, before we go into trivia and I've looked up a little bit a couple of things about this. Yep. What what do you what do you make of this ending? One of the greatest endings of all time, mm-hmm. and it is my Excellent! I'd actually forgotten you hadn't done that yet. Yeah, me too. I didn't really build that up. But when I was watching this, like I got chills and Brit was sitting on the couch on her phone. She wasn't really watching it. And I was like, Brit, look, look at this. I've fucking got chills. This movie is incredible. Like I forgot. Like I loved, I loved the whole viewing experience this time around. It was amazing. And I was just like, oh, this movie's so good. And then the end hits and it reminds me why truly how amazing this film is. Yeah. Like, I just, you're so invested in this ending here. And then- even before, even before he spins the top and then he spins the top and walks away and it just keeps going and then it starts to wobble and cut. It is such a powerful ending. One of the all-time great endings. Yep. So, what do I think? I take it for face value. I really do. I take it that he is now in the quote-unquote real world. All the dreams are done. The spinning top would have fallen. See, I have a bit of a, a tiny bit of a different view. Good. I don't think it matters. I mean, that view is Nolan. Nolan has come out and said, you know, because he's been asked multiple times, is he dreaming or not? He's said that it doesn't matter. The whole point is it doesn't matter whether it's a dream or not. What matters is that Cobb has accepted this as a reality. He has let go of the guilt and shame he feels from what he did to Mal. Mal, Mal <laughs> fuck. And he is and he is is ready to move on with his life. This but, is his journey, and it's now completed. But as what I mentioned, he spins the top first before he sees the kids. So it's like, yeah, he's checking to see if it's reality, but then he sees the kids, and so he doesn't care after that. Yeah, and that's why it. That's how it's basically left for me. Like he doesn't care. Why should we? It doesn't matter if it's real or not. He's he's happy now. He's in his world. He's moved on from Mal. This is his happiness. He's Whether it's real or, or a dream, still he's he's perfect. He's probably going to care in a few minutes when he has to go yeah, he walks back, to get he's like, 
oh god it's still sitting there spinning away he's like oh, fucking hell bang bang <laughs> <laughs> It comes back and like it actually wasn't from the first time we did it. Like kids come back like and spun it again. <laughs> oh, that's funny. We'd mentioned the wedding ring earlier on as well. Yep. Now a lot of people had said that the wedding ring only appears on Cobb's finger when he's in his dreams. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and look, which I did, the scene where he's holding up his passport before he's walking up to the mm-hmm. the airport, whatever whatever you want to call it, he doesn't have his ring on. There you go. Thereby kind of saying Ergo. it is real world. Yeah. I, I I really do think this is real world. Yeah, I mean if I'm gonna have, you know, if you're gonna press me for an answer here, I think it is the real world as well. Yeah. I went I did go on a bit of a Reddit uh, rabbit hole dive about how Love a classic Reddit rabbit hole the, dive. The inception was not actually being performed on Robert Fisher, it was being performed on Cobb and like, you know, Miles had hired Ariadne to perform Inception on Cobb. But I just don't buy it. There's so no, many there's, there's so much There's not there's, enough there for that. There's so much to to, you know, to fill the gaps in yourself in your mind. There's not enough evidence to support that. And I think there's so many theories. Like you can go through and you can latch onto one, but I don't think any fits nearly as cleanly as this is it. This is the real world. The end. Any last words? All right, I'll go first this time. Inception, holy shit. It is it is simply stunning. This is the third time I've seen it. Second time I saw first time I saw it, I was like, oh, great film. And I, but I appreciated it more for how visually stunning it looked on the screen. Like I knew it was very complex and I got I got most of it. And I knew that this is a film to be rewatched several times to understand it fully. But even for the first watch, just based on its technical merit, sensational. Second time I watched it, picked up on every little complexity that was going on there. Really, did. really focused on it. And it's, it ups the ante. Of course it does. Because not only do you have this brilliant looking and sounding film, but the plot and the intricacies and the characters, all these characters, they there's so many of them, but they're all re- like not relatable. They're all you can understand all of them. You you know who they are. They're fleshed out. Exactly. Watching it for the third time for this breakdown, ah, it's it's still sensational. Like it doesn't. It's two hours. Was it more than two hours? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty long. Doesn't feel like a two hour twenty film. I think it is. Does not feel like that at all. It breezes through. There's a certain point where they. It's it. It kind of feels like an exposition dump, but it's not because there's so much actually happening that keeps you engaged. It's not just them looking at the camera going, "This is what happens in the dreams, and this is the rules." Things are happening as it happens, so you don't have that feeling that it's just telling you what's going to be happening coming up. When it gets into the dreams, the multi-layered universe they have set here, set up here with the cuts back and forth works perfect. Didn't feel bogged down or confusing at any point. It was fluent. DiCaprio, fantastic in, the, in his role. Alan Page is sensational as well. Everyone else in the cast do their job. Very well done. Their characters are very great. Nolan directs the absolute shit out of this film. The Hans Zimmer score is just mwah, unbelievable. I don't know what else I can say except... Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. Outstanding. I have a feeling what yours is going to be. Yeah, I mean, you've you've said everything really well. I'm not really sure what else to add to that. You've summed it up so perfectly. Right, thank you very much, everyone. <laughs> but I will, I will just say this is, you know, it's not just, as you said, it's not just visually amazing. It's not just how original this movie is. Like, how, how often do you get a movie as original as this? Like, not since The Matrix had we got one like this. It is incredible. But it's also, like, watching it now, like, what struck me was the emotional ties I felt to to Cobb and Mal and their, their journey and having the kids there. It was, it got me really on an emotional level. Not, I wasn't crying or nothing for a change, but <laughs> it was, it really did give me the feels big time. And for me, it, it really does justify for me how this isn't just just amazing. Amazing. Incredible. 
Outstanding. But it's also one of my all-time favourite films. Yeah, and spoiler alert for our patron-exclusive episode on our top 50 films of the decade, Inception ranked seriously high up for both of us. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Speaking of rankings. I was the best because the crowd loved me. Right, Dean, where's this going to sit in your ranking of 51 films? All right. For me, no surprises. Uh, It's going to feature pretty high. So, I'm not even going to run through all my five-star films. I'm just going to start at... You know what? Let's do something different. Let's start at number one. You're going to go down. I'm going to go down. You're stopping? Is that it? Once Upon a Time in America Mm -hmm. is better than Inception. Batman Begins, another Nolan film. Again, better than Inception. Mm -hmm. Then we get Groundhog Day, which is my number three film. Another film about time. Yeah, I'm I'm big on the old time. And I have a love for Groundhog Day. That maybe is uh, not shared by most. But I like Groundhog Day better than Inception. Next up, we have La La Land. This is where it gets so close, it's not funny. Wow, I would have thought La La Land for sure. My next two are La La Land and The Matrix. And La La Land affected me a lot. The Matrix is very similar to Inception. I'm going to put it bang on in the middle. Inception is going to be my new number five. All right, I'll do the same thing. I'll start at the top instead of going up a little bit. This is my new number one. Boom. Is it really? (laughs) Yeah. What was your previous number one? The Matrix. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Nice. All right, Dean, I think it's time to take a trip down memory lane here to one year ago, where last year at this time, it was your birthday. So coincidentally, (laughs) it was your birthday this time this year as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, It was my birthday this week. Happy birthday, mate. Thanks, mate. But the thing is, it's such an odd number now. It's like- Actually, it's even. I regretted- Thinking of it, what, what was the point of me even saying it's an odd year to ha- to celebrate? Because I knew you were going to say that. Well, because you're wrong. Let me rephrase that. It's you know, it's quite an even year to celebrate your birthday. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself, <laughs> Endo. It is an even year. No, but happy birthday, mate. Number thirty-two. Thirty-two. Yep. Uh, had a nice barbecue on the beach with the family. It was beautiful. Had a great day. The kids were so excited. So it does really make days like this more valuable because I, for one, don't really care. But seeing all the joy that the kids get from it, it makes me uh, warm inside, Hendo. Fantastic. But like I said, this time last year, it was our Pod v Pod 13 and it was you versus me in our second round. Ah, did you go easy on me and let me win because it was my birthday? Absolutely not. Ah, you actually won this one, did you? I think I did. I think I I I won a lot, actually. I don't think you did. I think I have a very good record against you. Oh, if only there was a way we could go back and check out this episode. And this week we got a couple of handsome young fellas from <laughs> down under. It's uh, it's me and Dean. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're sorry. <laughs> no, it was Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Oh, really? Yes. God, I wouldn't have picked that far back. Mm. Well, that's what it was. Wow. Okay. I don't remember liking that film. Yeah, I think you slagged on it in a Rocky breakdown. Okay. Among other Sylvester Stallone films, you prick. <laughs> Category of Danny Boyle films. Why are you so happy? Are you just making these categories up based off the question? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like this is just it just feels like a very formulaic biography that didn't take any chances. The second half just it started dragged when when the you know the bad stuff starts to happen, it, it didn't do it well. I just I was very let down with this film. I, this film could have been so much more than what it was, and it let me down in some a, a lot of key points of this film. Oh, don't get me wrong, I love the music, but that it's just the Queen soundtrack. Mm. So I can just go put my headphones on and listen to Queen if I wanted to. Number eleven was the guilty. Marky Mark. What? Is it Mark Wahlberg? What? Who is on the poster? I swear that was Mark Wahlberg. 
There's a guy named Jacob Sedegren. It is a foreign film. Really? Yeah, about a police dispatch officer on the... Man, he looks like Mark Wahlberg. No, he doesn't. Oh, he so does. That does not look like him at all. Look, squint, (laughs) squint. Why are you showing me the same picture I'm looking at over here? Squint, it's him. That's (laughs) incredible. You put it on your tiny phone and pull it further away. (laughs) See, from this distance it does. Characters are incredibly well-developed, and the satire of the 18th century British royal court is nothing shy of brilliant. Holds nothing back, even sad handjobs. Is there such a thing, though, Ryan, when you think about it? That's all I'm thinking about now. Sad Sad (laughs) handjobs. Is that that why you're crying? (laughs) From your... (laughs) I know it's a cartoon thing, but... Had a lot of substance to it, and I, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. You get those two letters, DC, slammed at the front. Dean is like instant, at least three stars. Dean comes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm never going to be able to watch one of those films now and just see that. Uh. Damn it. Well, my number one, I don't even know if you remember. It's the film you picked for me to watch. Philadelphia. I was bruised and battered. I couldn't tell what I felt I was. Unrecognizable to myself. Great song. It, it was. <laughs> ah, I really like that song. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> hey, listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie-related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show and get our name out there, and there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. Let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and of course, Podbean. We're very thankful to Podbean for taking on our podcast. Yeah, definitely. It's a great hosting site with a great app to go with it. Yeah, what I like about Podbean's app is you can actually comment on the episode you're listening to and it goes straight to us and we can reply back immediately. We've also opened up a new little merch store over on Tee Public. We've got uh, a couple of t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and all that good stuff for sale. So if you're at all interested in getting a little bit of Movie Journey sweet, sweet merch, head on over there and see if anything tickles your fancy. Amazing! And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do so over on Twitter. Hendo controls our main handle at the Movie Journey, and I am at Dean's 250 Journey. You can also check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Movie Journey, our letterbox pages where we keep our film diaries up to date. I am at letterboxd.com slash Dino underscore J88. Really rolls off the tongue. And you can find Hendo at letterbox.com slash Hendo. And we also have a new Facebook discussion group. Yeah, a little listener community going on over there. Yeah, head on over, join up. We'd love for you to be a part of the discussion. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. Or if you're really loving the show and want more, why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down films not on the IMDb Top 250 list. Yeah, we've got over 70 episodes over there, including such classic film series like the Die Hard series, X-Men series, Mission Impossible series, as well as some notable film directors such as Wes Anderson, Edgar Wright, and even Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that's right. There's also tons of benefits over there. Early access to our main show, patron-only polls that we put out on the regular. Yeah, exactly. You can even shape the show the way you want to by telling us what films you would like us to break down. So what's coming up this week, mate? Well, Dean, we're finally going to do the autopsy of Jane Doe. No. Yeah, Surely this off, can't be true. Held off on it for a while to get through the Bad Boys movies. But and, it's here. and wasn't that a treat? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, as you say, it is here. So, yep, I'm keen to 
finally talk about this film. Yeah, exactly. I'd also like to give a big shout out to our awesome new patron, Hunkrio. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for helping support the show and joining our awesome team of patrons. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. All right, mate, it's time for... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. And we've got a couple of reviews here from our awesome, awesome patrons. First one here from Ben Mulverhill. Modern classic. One for the ages. Deserves all the praise it gets. Next up from Cecil Hops. The directing is so good, it took me three times to realise that 99% of the dialogue is explaining how the dream shit works. There's a lot of dream shit in this film. A lot of dream shit in Inception. It's a hot take, Hendo. Our latest awesome patron, Hunkrio, says a very creative film with great visuals and stunning action. The only thing that lets it down is that none of the characters outside of Leo and Marion were very memorable to me. I disagree with that. I me think too. I think they were very memorable for you, Hunkrio. Uh, next up from Chris Beardsall. I'll keep this short because every positive word this film has received is well-deserved. I don't know if I can say it's a perfect film. But you can. I, it's all right to say that. It's okay. But I sure as shit can't find any flaws with it. Without a doubt, Nolan's best. <laughs> I disagree. Yeah, it's no Batman Begins, mate. <laughs> the Rough House Podcast says a thrilling, mind-boggling, beautiful, and very well-acted heist film. Nolan perfected his game and style here. Sure, there's a ton of exposition, but its delivery and the score managed to rope you in further, as opposed to leading to a tune-out. Plus, bomb! Now, thank you very much, guys, for those reviews, but of course, we've got... Shane! Inception was the next Nolan film after The Dark Knight, so you can imagine the hype. Just imagine it, Hendo. At the time, while I enjoyed the movie, I found it a bit tough to get into. I wasn't prepared for its existential paradigms concerning dreams and sharing dreams with one another. The film just takes a dream travelling technology for granted and then invents new conundrums on top of this such as getting lost in limbo and battling the subconscious. Yours or somebody else's. On my third watch a couple of years ago, the film picked up for me. When I got my head around the lingo and then just enjoyed the film for what it was. An action thriller heist movie. All-star cast. A lot of the supporting characters don't have backstories, but are still interesting when portrayed in the moment. The film never really gives you a moment to think about what's going on, because there's always something going on. If you even drift out of listening to what's been said, you might lose a vital piece of information, which can make increasingly complicated matters confusing. After the movie is where you think, and the film does have a lot to say, most notably about dreams and their relation to reality. What is a dream? What is reality? How do you define existence? As the characters can get lost in memories and morph the dream world to resemble a better one, you can appreciate the sentiment. Another thing about Inception that can be said is that it could be the Matrix's closest rival. In terms of fake worlds and draw-dropping stunts... Draw-dropping? I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Wipe that smile off your face. <laughs> I'll try again. And jaw-dropping stunts, along with all the action-packed thrills, they're both in the same company, I feel. Really, you could go on and keep making Inception sequels and they would be awesome. There's so much about the world and its ideas that could be fleshed out further. Better than making Interstellar, that's for sure. Ooh. Five stars. Well done, Shane. Good review. Great review, Shane. All right, mate, it's time for... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite ambiguous film ending? Let's start off on Twitter here. First one from Madhav Sharma, Under the Silver Lake. 
Do you know what that movie is? I do. I've seen it. I didn't like it. I don't remember the ambiguous ending. There, by the way, we got a lot of responses for this question. A lot of different responses. Good. Yes. Just like this next one from Sylvia Correa. Lost in translation. Now, now I assume this is just in reference to what is said between Bill Murray and ScarJo. Yes. Yeah. Bad Blood Mary says existence. With a Z. Mm, never seen it. Never even heard of it, I don't think. Me neither. The essential film, say The Lighthouse. Yep, that's that's a good one. I think that's a good one. I saw this a couple of weeks ago, and I don't remember the ending at all. <laughs> You're not saying much there at all. Christina says The Thing. Video Culture Podcast says The Conversation, of course. Ooh, Ooh. something to get you hyped for, your conversation watch. I mean, yours. Am I watching it? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> cool. That is a new level. <laughs> well, I'm hyped for my uh, conversation watch. <laughs> Shattered Worlds RPG says The End of the Last Jedi. Well, you're not sure if there'll be a third movie or not. Spoiler alert, there wasn't. Ooh. <laughs> That's good. Rob Tyler says Mystic River. See, I don't remember the ending for Mystic River well enough. From memory, I'm pretty sure it gets wrapped up. And it's not ambiguous, but that's just That could just be your interpretation. Brett Matheson says, Some may think it's unambiguous, but The Blair Witch. The original movie, of course. So that's The Blair Witch Project. Anthony Cancenetta says- Cancer? Is it Cancenetta? Yeah. How is it? I I thought you said Cancer. Cancenetta. Cancenetta. Get a little zzz in there. Cancenetta says Parasite. Is that ambiguous? Yes. I definitely think it is. I have my interpretation of what it is, and I think that's correct, obviously, but I really think that can be opened up to interpretation. Jake Bennett says Mulholland Drive. That whole film is ambiguous. Stephen Haller says Munich. Haven't seen it. Saw it at the movies, never saw it again. Paul Sutcliffe Boardman says The Italian Job, original version. Glenn Coco says Thelma and Louise. Hmm. I don't think that's very ambiguous at all. I think they live, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Flicks Watcher Podcast says Donnie Darko. Nice. One County Film Company says The Lobster. That's a good choice. Who the hell can make it to the end of The Lobster anyway? Me and many others. Cinema Cats. Says Cats. Hopefully they don't say Cats. (laughs) (laughs) If recent films, I would say And Had Hum. Wow. And And Had Hum reference. Is that a first for Twitter? Maybe for us. It's definitely for us. I think for Twitter as a whole. Dude, it's in the top 250. Mm. Scottish Siren says Shutter Island. Christy Andrea Tajuz says Doubt. Deliberate ambiguity is one of my faves, along with flash forwards. We really should watch Doubt. I doubt it. Ben Damn it. says Haneke's cache hidden. Do those words mean anything to you? He didn't mean something to me. <laughs> I've heard cache as well before. Cache. No, it's Michael not. Haneke's cache. Michael Haneke's? Yes, Michael Haneke is a director. Of course. Oh, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> oh there's more. You're still going here. Uh, sorry, Ben. Probably the most ambiguous ending I've ever experienced. An ambiguous ending to an ambiguous movie. Shane Beauregard says Baby Driver. Ronnie Casale says Inception. Ian Willis says 2001, A Space Odyssey. Kurt Smith says Blade Runner. I can't remember the ending of Blade Runner. I think the whole thing is, is he a replicant or not? That's, oh, yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah, of course. Reza says American Psycho. Jeffrey Kerr says Birdman. Here's one from Gerald from Two Peas in a Pod. Now, I just did a recent guest appearance on his show where we did our top five movie endings. Just general endings. How ambiguous of you. I thought that was pretty to the point. Anyway, Gerald goes with First Reformed. Lindsay Dunn says Memento. That is not ambiguous. I'm sorry, Lindsay Dunn. Yeah, I think that was pretty on point. And our last one here on Twitter from Ryan Terry, The Birds. 
I haven't seen it. I have. I, from memory, I, I feel like it... Yeah, it was ambiguous. Was it the yeah. birds? I mean, you'd think. You would think. All right, looking on our Facebook page from Chris Waldridge, Top Gun. Do Iceman and Maverick wind up together? We'll find out soon, I guess. Rob Manifield says The Wrestler. Chris Williams says The Thing. Chris Lishalit says Gotta Be Inception. I'd put The Shining at a close second. And lastly here on Facebook from Rod Stewart. Not that Rod Stewart. I might try it again. From Rob Stewart. My wife and I still fight over the ending to Pan's Labyrinth, so I guess it has to be that. And over on our Patreon for our awesome, awesome patrons, Chris Beardsall says The Thing. And finally, Ben Mulverhill says Big Fan of Pan's Labyrinth Ending. Thank you very much, everyone, for your responses and to everyone else who put in a response. But, Dean, let's get to our top five ambiguous endings. And as usual, we start off with you, mate. Tell us your number five. So I'm going to start with number five. I don't expect it to be on your list or probably anyone else's, but this is a film that I love. And going off our discussion on it alone, I'm putting it here at number five, Once Upon a Time in America. Ooh, that is also my number five. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think if we hadn't have done the podcast on it and had such a long conversation about the ending, I probably would have just glossed over it. But yeah. there's a lot there. There was a lot. All right, my number four then, American Psycho. Very good pick. Didn't make my list. My number four, you're going to love this one, The Lobster. <laughs> Yep, I love that ending. Super ambiguous. Okay. All right, my number three, Donnie Darko. Again, didn't make my list. I'm surprised because Donnie Darko, like, I remember the first time I watched it, it was just like, I have no idea what yeah, just happened. Yeah, but I happened. think our discussion sort of cemented it for me, so it kind of went away from being ambiguous. Fair Whereas enough. once upon a in America, there was still that back, mm. like, the openness about it. Yeah. My number three is Birdman. Okay. Number two, Pan's Labyrinth. Again, didn't make my list here. Oh, Pan's Labyrinth's ending is so good. I need to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in a real long time, so I don't really remember the ending. All right, well, my number two is The Thing. Didn't make my list. Oh, I could tell it didn't make your list because I know I have to know what your number one is for sure. Yes. Obviously, I assume we have the same number one. As usual. Very appropriate for this list or this podcast, even. Inception. Absolutely Inception. That bloody spinning top, man. So good. All right, next week's question of the week is going to be a random one, Dean, so give me a number between 1 and 50. 32. Oh, we've got a good one here. We're going to go, what is your favourite film debut? Nice. We're both masters. Who won? How did it end? All right, Dean, it's time to find out the results of the latest Pod v Pod movie draft result between Justin and Brad from the Cinema Guys in our draft on 2010's comedies. And we were team one, and we had What We Do in the Shadows, Bridesmaids, Deadpool, 21 Jump Street, and Booksmart. And the Cinema Guys were team two. They had Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan Lucky, Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy, and The World's End. And let's take a look at some responses. First one from Nick, the epic film guys. Bridesmaids and Booksmart are a force too powerful to be reckoned with. Team Movie Journey takes us all the way. From patron Glenn Davies here, this is ridiculous. I refuse to choose between Thor Ragnarok and Deadpool. I declare it a draw. JD at the In Session Film Podcast says, any team with what we do in the shadows gets my vote. In their own league says, any team that has Booksmart in their lineup is our winner. Nice, another point for us. We Watch The Thing says, I thought there was supposed to be some contest in these things. Team Movie Journey. <laughs> Matt Neglier at the Next Best Picture Podcast says, The Cinema Guys, only because I identify so much with Gary King. Cinematic Adventure says, Team Movie Journey has the best comedy of the decade while the rest are just average, while Team Cinema Guys has sevens and eights throughout. So, Team Cinema Guys. Rough House Podcast says, It's not even close. Team Cinema Guys has Scott Pilgrim, Ragnarok, Guardians, and the supremely underrated Logan Lucky. Murderer's Row of Comedy right there. 
and the world's end. <laughs> Nerd Lantern of Sector 2814 says, Team Cinema Guys, buy a few hairs. Both teams have two movies I love and one I've never seen, but Team Cinema Guys has one I like a bit more than the other. Stephen Keller says, Team Movie Journey had the overall better movies, but Team Cinema Guys wins because of Scott Pilgrim. Damn it. Josh says, There isn't a bad movie in the bunch, but Team Cinema Guys wins it for me. John Mueller says, Team Cinema Guys, Secret Weapon, Goblin. Fair enough. And the last one here from Give Missing Link, the Oscar. Bridesmaids and Booksmart should have been with Scott Pilgrim, but I understand, so I'll vote for Team Movie Journey from me. All right, thank you very much, everyone, for your responses, but let's take a look at the results. 94 votes later. It was very close. Was close. 53% to us. To us. Lovely. So we win. We do, in a two-to-one victory. So commiserations, Brad and Justin, put up a good fight. But, uh, Especially in that first round. Oh, boy. There's this tournament. Let the tournament Right, Dean, it's time to find out the first couple of matches in our best 2010s film tournament. We have 50 films in this one. Nice. And because of the uneven brackets here, we have a couple of films that have already made it into the second round. So let's take a look at the first nine matches in the first round here. First match here, we have Gone Girl against Hacksaw Ridge. Good matchup. I think I know what will win there, though. Next up, we have The Hunt against PK. I think I know what will win there, too. What the fuck is PK? Something we'll have to break down eventually. Is it Indian? Most likely. Most likely. <laughs> Same situation here. Toy Story 3 against Drisham. Ooh. Then we have Inside Out against Rush. I like both movies very much. I do too. feel like one's going to destroy the other, though. We have a 2017 battle here. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri against Logan. Ooh, now that could be close. Could be. Next up, we have your favourite movie, Klaus, against the Grand Budapest Hotel. wonder if recency bias will give Klaus the, the upper edge here. Highly unlikely. In Sondies against Gangs of Wasapar. <laughs> oh, dear. Next up, Shutter Island takes on Prisoners. Ooh, interesting. Mm. And our last match here, we have Green Book. Against the Handmaiden. Interesting matchups in our first uh, batch of matches here. They are. That's the trailer right there. All right, mate. I've got two trailers to talk about this week. I don't have much to say about either of them because I'm not. I'm not pretty. I'm not hyped about these two films at all. The New Mutants. You heard about this film? Been in production for a fair while now. Yeah. Apparently, Kevin Feige wanted it to be a horror. No, they were gonna make it a horror film, and he stepped in and said, "No, don't." Yeah. The trailer still makes it look like a horror film, but the original one, not as much as the original. The original trailer from last year made it look like fucking terrifying. They've really watered it down here. I am not keen for this film whatsoever. The other one, Birds of Prey, the new Harley Quinn film. Do you know the full name of this film? The um, uh, something Emancipation of One Harley Quinn or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Who cares? It just looks it looks shit. It just looks all over the joint. And I'm, you know, after Suicide Squad, I'm not really anticipating anything. This looks worse than Suicide Squad. Well, have you seen something about this? No, but I've seen the posters. Oh, the poster looks ridiculous. They're terrible. Yeah. The trailer, it looks awful. It really does look like another Suicide Squad film. Not anticipating this one at all. Fair which is enough. why we'll do a bonus episode on it. <laughs> so, what's next? All right, it's my turn for a film. Now, I wanted to try and go and find a notable director that we haven't done. We've done a, a fair amount of big-name directors that are on the list, but there was one that was really passing us by, and that is Mr. Hayao Miyazaki. God. Yeah, haven't done one. So, our first Hayao Miyazaki film we're going to do is My Neighbor Totoro. Okay. I saw this last year, I think. Oh, really? I didn't think you saw it that recent. Yeah, it was pretty recent. Okay. Well, this is going to be an interesting one. It will be. It'll be a different viewing experience for me, I have no doubt. Second anime of the of the breakdown list. Let's see if it's as good as your name. It won't be. No chance. And that's going to do it for this episode. 
It was awesome having a chat to you about the lovely Inception. Wasn't it? Now, for next week, we're back with Pod v Pod 33. We're going to have another awesome guest on for a good battle. And then, after that, it is our top 20 films of 2019. We've still got a couple more films to see because we like to try and get as many in as possible. I think late January is, is where we can cut it off for, you know, the films we need to see. I think so, too. Most of the releases have come out in Australia by then, so yeah. we're able to see them. And we like to classify those as t- 2019 films because it's technically what they are. Yeah. Plus, I like I I personally like to keep it in line with the Oscars as well. Yeah, good point. So, there's that. But that's in a couple of weeks' time. So, thank you very much, everyone, for checking out this episode. And we will see you next week for Pod v Pod 33. Bye.